0: It's hard to even believe it that, that Nissan had like the first mass market EV in 2011, like that it, it's so long ago. Now it was almost a decade ago. Yeah. And they should the have fact nailed that, this. Yeah. The, the, the sort of like, okay, so we're going to do like, you know, a more upscale version of the leaf. And then we're going to do an SUV version of it. And that like, here we are, you know, almost 10 years after the first leaf debuted and the Ari only just came out. And I've only just like walked past it. There's one park down the street for me. i walked past it a couple of times now and, God, it's depressing. Carlos would never have let this happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Autonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor over at TechCrunch.
2: And I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association, formerly of Argo mm-hmm. AI, whom I never represented on this show, and now a management consultant. But I am not allowed to shill for my company, so I'm not going to give it a name.
0: And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the author of "Ludicrous: The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors," and uh, it's great to uh, to be back chatting with you both. Um, luckily, uh, uh, the price of this podcast continues to be free. Uh and if it were any higher, we'd be cutting prices because that's what people are starting to do in the electric vehicle business. Is aren't you happy amazing. about that, Ed? Ed, don't you want to that, see cheaper that was EVs? That's amazing
1: lead-up. I just want to give credit to the amazing lead-up of that. Um, I,
0: Alex, I do want to see cheaper EVs. That's actually but Tesla's a, doing something it for you. of a yeah, you know, and, and they're taking a very specific approach. And I think it's it's an interesting an interesting one because tesla since 2006 since the the top secret master plan this was the mission of this company right was to was was to cut to cut the cost of evs right rich people will buy an expensive roadster or expensive model s or model x <laughs> or performance model 3 or performance model hating. y or you know and and that it would make prices cheaper and and you know there's two there's two ways in which things become cheaper, right? And, and I think there's an interesting contrast to be drawn here. One is that you, know, you charge people as much money as you can for a product, and then you cut into your own margins by cutting the prices, which is what Tesla's doing, or you develop new, cheaper models and sell them profitably at much, much lower prices. Um, and that is what, for example, BYD is doing in China, um, and one of the news items – from, from this week, was the reveal of the BYD Seagull, which takes BYD now into, I think, what it starts at $11,500, goes up to about $16,000, $17,000, which, which then bumps it up against the the BYD Dolphin, which is about $16,000 to about $20,000. So now BYD, in China at least, has two really genuinely affordable longer range EVs, and Tesla has its Model 3 and its Model Y that it can cut costs on for a certain Amount of time, but like eventually it's going to run out of margin to cut, right?
2: Uh, are you suggesting that I should not have f- financed my most recent Model 3 because the amount underwater? Is that what you're saying? Because <laughs> I'm saying I've it learned- sounds
0: like you bought <laughs> high, but
2: <laughs> uh, did, there's been two or three price cuts since I got mine. I was trying to figure out what it's actually worth. It's gray, it's got the white interior, it's quite nice. Uh, and I thought it was worth like 52 uh, But now if you go on the Tesla website, uh, and you configure a Model Three performance. Mine is just a long range, the middle model. Model Three performance with everything on it and brand new is fifty five. And um, so, but you know, I don't really care because I love my car. I, don't, I love my car, and I <laughs> and feel it's a
0: Tesla, so it'll just run forever. You'll be you'll be driving yeah. it when you're in your eighties. <laughs>
1: it actually gains in value over time. Oh, it yeah, becomes appreciate. newer over time. Um, I'll, I will say this. I will say this though, your the used car price index, like the Mannheim, it's still lingering like kind of high. So um, the resale, if you were to sell your vehicle right now, you would probably maintain a decent amount of its value. And then and then you could get, you know, the, the price cut version of the car you really want.
2: If that is what I really want. You know, I remember when Apple used to drop prices on their on their machines and I would get Called ballistic, and there's a there's a website called oh is it You ever look at that website? They have yeah. your your buying guide, and they show like the number of days since the last price cut, and they have like a red, yellow, um, green like lamp, like whether you should buy now or not or wait. I, I'm surprised that that doesn't exist for Tesla because I think it's because the Tesla fans will always say always buy always, whereas the Apple fans have them matured into like the third generation, and so now they're they're kind of an equilibrium of of intellectual like honesty uh, about actually buying Apple products, uh, so I just you know I think it's pointless to be. But you well, know what? Go on, Ed. I, I think I know where you're going.
0: <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say. I mean, it, it is fascinating though that um I mean to just look at all of the vehicles that that were unveil are being unveiled at the Shanghai Auto Show and and you know obviously China is now the the biggest market for EVs and cars in the world. Um and it just the, the thing that jumps out to me is is a and, and there's been some interesting reporting lately on this uh, about just sort of the rise of of chinese brands uh, and how they're more popular they're really competing with the established foreign companies a lot more now um, but also just the just you know the the range of price point options you know that china's always had the very very low cost sort of city car things that would just like never you know, come close to passing U.S. They're really not like a car for American regulatory purposes. But now with these these new lines of BYD vehicles, you know, these are serious vehicles. The the Dolphin is certainly going to Europe. Um, I'm not sure about the this new one, the Seagull. But um, these are cars that, that you could in theory sell anywhere. And it, to me, you know, you look at China and you see a real market developing, right, with like offerings at all the different price points and a lot of competition and stuff. And it feels like here in the U.S. we're still – it just is not that, you know, we've got, we've got lots of competition for trucks. You want an electric truck, you know, you've got, you, you've got a couple of options now. You've got Rivians, and you've got Fords, and you've got, you know, uh, uh, Hummers and you've got Rams coming and you've got Silverado coming, you know, but, but these are expensive, big battery things. And if you look across the line, it's just not a, a robust set of offerings uh, in the marketplace yet. And I'm just kind of
1: wondering when we're going to get there. Yeah, I mean, where you don't see the robust offering is the price point of like 15000 to 35000 Because even, you know, for example, like for fun, sometimes um, it sounds super dumb. I don't know why I do this for fun, but I'll go on a Carvana and be like, what's the cheapest EV on the market right now? And like, I just, I, I'm curious to see like what people are selling. And, um, you know, it's like a 2014 Nissan Leaf. Like is, but- you know, you have to like the cheapest used EV right now you can find is, uh, Nissan Leafs before the refresh, then the refreshed version, then, um, you know, some Chevy sparks thrown in there really kind of some on it on it for me personally, sort of uninspired, like I've never really loved the Nissan Leaf. Um, and then like, eclipsing 30,000, you may, you can get a Chevy bolt. And then some of the, you know, like even a few year old vehicles, it's like 45 and up. You can't even get a used somewhat interesting non novelty clown car feeling EV for, you know, under 40 grand. And to me that just like tapping, like you're missing a huge market. And that's the same with plug in hybrids too. Plug-in hybrids are starting, you know, pretty high. And uh, that is an area where China has really established this aspirational middle-class vehicle, right? That's like affordable, but also not cheap novelty, right? Um, And that's, I think, what this our market's missing. Like, if we want to get something that's under 30, it's going to be this like, Little silly-looking vehicle that doesn't, you know, like a novelty car. It, it doesn't feel like an actual vehicle. Didn't Mini just announce a, a, a an EV convertible? Sure, but it's not going to start below thirty. Yeah,
0: no, so. uh, <laughs> yeah Mini is <laughs> no. But I think you're right in that in that there's not really a like, a, you know, a Model T, if you will, and and obviously we live in a very different time than 1900. 3 or whatever right but like the equivalent of a of a model t ev right like like an a, an ev that both any Ameri- like most americans can afford but that also doesn't feel like like it's it's a penalty box you know alex i think of uh the equivalent maybe of you know when when we were in uh india and we oh, drove yeah. in the uh, uh, there were no quid, you know, for that, you know, that was by Indian market standards, right? Um, but that was a, it was a very cheap car. It was $5,000, which was sort of the, uh, the meat of the Indian car market there. And But it was amazing driving it. You just, it didn't, again, like it wouldn't feel adequate in America, especially like in the West Coast, you know? But like it, for India and for driving across India, it, w- it was just perfectly adequate, even though it started at $5,000. That That's what the EV market needs, right? Is that, that thing that is not like... A penalty box, but that's still accessible. And no one—I think the, the, that was what the Model Three was supposed to be. That was in 2016. That was why there was all this excitement about the Model Three. And you know, clearly, like Tesla has been able to get the price of it down. But but you know, <laughs> the idea that that was a mission-driven thing and and that they weren't just sort of getting as much money as they possibly could out of it uh, is is pretty absurd. Have you looked Sorry, go ahead, Cures.
1: Well, I was just going to say like if you think about like w- when I'm driving around what are like very common vehicles that like is maybe like a nice vehicle that is going to go forever is like the Honda Civic, right? You know, it's like ubiquitous. Um I think the base price of a 2023 is around $24,000. Imagine a Honda Civic EV vehicle that has you know, what you need, none, none of the extra-ish like BS that no one uses none of the little novelty items. I keep using that word, but that's what it feels like. Um, and that you can base price it, you know, walk out the door, maybe under, definitely under 30. So that we just don't have. Uh, I guess the Chevy Bolt is, you know, they're practically giving those things away, but it's still, um, still not quite there. And it's a very, it's like very hatchbacky little wedge, you know, it's not very appealing to look at. The
0: EUV, the EUV update looks, yeah, I think it was a good improvement. That's what it should have been from That's the That's a good
1: improvement. Yeah. It should have been that from the beginning, but you, you really just don't have that in the marketplace. I think your point earlier about um, this interesting transition in China though, where it used to be that foreign brands were the brands that people aspire to buy, especially on the premium end. Not you know, all or, foreign brands. Right. Sure. Not all foreign brands, but like, for example, like Mercedes is, you know, China's an incredibly important market for them and on the luxury end, but you're starting to see this shift where um, China companies are becoming appealing to the marketplace there. And every foreign automaker in China should be concerned by that. Yeah. Um, because, it, it it they used to be able to count on the cachet of being a foreign brand and it being naturally appealing and that's ending.
0: Well, and so what's interesting is is now too that that some of these Chinese brands are now going to to Europe and and especially with some of these more moderately priced vehicles. So BYD is going to Europe. Um, as we said with the with the Dolphin, not the Seagull. Um, uh, I think it's a, a AI way is there. Um, Zeker Zeker is going to be there. Um, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Lincoln Lincoln Company doesn't sell EVs though. Oh, MG is the SAC brand. Neo is there. So, so, so it's interesting that you're seeing these Chinese, this new wave of Chinese, sort of res- surging uh, domestic automakers going to to the U- to to the EU. Not having a ton of success yet. Uh, I think just looking at the latest numbers out of Germany and and the players that are there are still getting established but they're not even beginning to do it in the US and again i think you know there's this sense in which the us car market feels like it's becoming like a like a, a gated community because it's not just in the evs where there's not affordable evs but really you know affordable vehicles in general are are just not as big a part of the market and i think we're at an interesting point right now because profit the, the dealerships have been making huge amounts of money um and now we're starting to see a little bit of softness it'll be interesting to see if that's just a little short-term correction or if there's, if there's something bigger there, because um, as we've discussed a little bit, you know, just the, that lack of affordable vehicles is a big problem in a country like the U S where we don't have public transit and stuff.
1: Uh, Alex um, and Ed, I'm curious though, if you think that the U S marketplace would even open its arms to Chinese brands. No, I've seen them occasionally show up at auto show, um, a totally different country, Vietnam. VinFast has is really making a big play and push into the US. But I don't see the average American wanting to buy a Chinese brand vehicle right now. Now, this was the same sentiment not too long ago, a few decades ago, what people felt about buying Japanese cars and Korean cars. So I'm not saying it won't change, but right now I just politically um also just the perception of the quality um it just doesn't fit into a demographic here in the united states at least from my perspective i don't know maybe i'm wrong
2: i I don't buy look i don't buy for a second that americans are going to start buying chinese cars even if they wanted to because the chinese they're smart they know that if they have to spend hundreds of millions or billions to enter the market, and then in the next three to five years, there's some kind of conflict over Taiwan. the the, the day before that, the day that happens, their market evaporates for twenty to fifty years.
0: Yeah, I so mean, it's
2: I, over. It's done. Any and so any, they're, they're not. Yeah.
0: Any major you're not going to make enough. Like the, the U.S. Yeah, and Chinese economies are so intertwined. If there's a conflict, matter. if there's a conflict over Taiwan, both of our like this, that's the, that's that's no, why it hasn't it, happened. It, it,
2: the thing it, is, the thing is the the, the, there are already American brands in China. There are no Chinese brands here. So if you're China, you're not – if you're a Chinese company, you're not going to invest that money so, to, so, to employ here until you see things play out.
0: But but there's there's two questions here. One is can they make products that can compete in the US market? I think there's no question but that they can. Uh, and I think that it, it, it is purely a question of branding, right? So, so right, you have two – so VinFast – it doesn't matter what brand you put on a VinFast. Just and I'm going off of you know some of the amazing reporting right. that's been Let's done. Be close.
2: shout out to Kevin Williams. Yes, shout that's out who i Williams. to. Uh, Tony yeah. yeah, visit um, to what
0: legendary, legendary piece of reporting for Jalopnik. Uh, look, look it up. But I, it wouldn't matter what brand you'd put on that that vehicle. It's not going to do well in this marketplace because it's not up to our standards. A company like BYD. Uh, Neo, X some of these other ones without having a lot of hands on experience myself, it seems to me that they are certainly the, the, let's call it the quality standard that Tesla's setting. I think they can <laughs> absolutely compete there. Did the you question see the DeMiro the the review was, of the BYD? Did you see that video? I have not, no. You know, which one did, you, which one did you review? The, the song? I, I don't know. The, the one that looks like a BMW. That one. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, so my point is, is that, is that right? Because right now, Americans buy Volvos that are made in China. Americans buy Buicks that are made in China. It's not a problem that these these cars are made in China or even developed and designed by primarily Chinese-owned firms. It's purely a question of we need some kind of brand on it so that we're not like I drive
1: a you know a Shelpeng like we can't we yeah. just so, well, so and, it's just a branding problem. W- walk walk down your street and ask any random person where is volvo what kind of like where is volvo based people still think it's a swedish automaker the company itself even describes itself as a swedish automaker if you said did you know that gili um a chinese company owns volvo and like no that no people don't like the average consumer is unaware of that and it's very smart
0: Little Chinese flags and the little tags on the seats, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's smart that Volvo has tried to maintain that identity, right? Same as Polestar. I mean, it does not advertise itself in any way, shape, or form as anything but um, modern, Scandin- like Scandinavian Swedish design. Like it's it's very much um, leans into that. It, although it is absolutely identified China as a very important market as you know, at the Shanghai auto show introduced the, the Polestar four, that's where it, you know, chose to, to debut that vehicle. So, um, I think that until a company, maybe <laughs> I was going to say Foxconn, but they're having trouble over here. Um, but, um, maybe, maybe phones are easier to make than cars. I think that they're discovering, but if you could white label something like if a Foxconn came along and white labeled something, maybe it would sell here, but I think you're right. Like if it has any kind of name that is in any way associated to China, people in the United States just aren't going to buy it. Um, no yeah, matter but how good it is. Change their but, but yeah, said, it was- I mean,
0: this is why Geely made like Lincoln company brand and, and then Zeker and like, so like right. Lincoln company to me, Zeker, I, I haven't sort of like, dived into the the specifics of their branding as much as Lincoln Company. I was a little more exposed to the products and the branding and everything. And Lincoln Company, I feel like, was the kind of – they were talking about coming to the U.S. They haven't, but they are the kind of brand like Polestar. And again, Polestar, I know there's the association with Volvo, but like Lincoln Company strikes me as the kind of brand that – you know. and I don't think the first generation of product was right, but they could have come to the U.S. And some people would have been like, oh, that's a Chinese company that's owned by Geely. But for a lot of people, they would have just said – Lincoln company, it's got these kind of, you know, video, you know, these, these, these cars, they're like slick. They're like, so I I think that these Chinese companies can make brands that, that get past this branding issue in the U S and I think they're already making products that at least have the the possibility of succeeding here. But again, it's, it's interesting that they're not jumping in with two feet. Like that to me is is, as interesting as any part of this, they would rather go to Europe for now. And I think it says a lot about the fact that, you know, fundamentally in the US, we have a premium market. And if you go to the, U- the EU, it's not just a premium market. People are willing to buy an EV on value. And I think here in the US, the buyer of EVs who who are just buying on value and not looking at brand and status and prestige and things like that is it, still very small. And so, so part of it is that I think our market, they, they just don't see our market as being ready for... For the kinds of values that they're competing on, right?
2: You know what I'd like to see? What? Stellantis bring the Citroen Ami to the United States. That. Well, how about the
1: Honda? Like, how about the Honda E? Yeah, so cool. So cool. I, I
0: bet uh, the Honda E would be so expensive if they brought it to the U.S. Why? Well, because I mean, I, first of all, I don't think it could because I think the, they'd have to re-homologate it. It'd be super, super expensive. But like, it just. It, it's a car for markets where people are willing to pay for premium small cars. And like, that's never like the U S is, has always been a tough sell for that.
1: Well, I guess the, the, here's a, you know, an interesting marker is the Fiat, the new all electric Fiat 500 is coming in 2024. It has been in the Euro market already for a while. Like it, it's a fast and it's not going to be a cheap vehicle. Yeah. Um, it's, the, the thing that I've always found fascinating and for people who have never been to Europe, um, maybe who are listening, but like go rent a car in Europe. Um, rent a car in Europe and you can get a Mercedes, um, but just a lower class of one, but still really pretty high quality, um, you know, ability to, you know, plenty of power and performance. You can't do that here. Um there's just like you said Ed, a number of vehicles out there that are value vehicles but are still quite good. They don't have weird shapes it doesn't feel like it's uh, again this word I keep using a novelty car um you know and in the US it seems like if it gets small it gets like weird cute and very specific for a demographic like a 16 year old teenage girl would buy this car and no one else and it's like that's not very appealing. Um, you know, I want a affordable vehicle that can zip around and is just looks like a normal car. Like I don't need any weird add-ons. Um, and that's what I feel like is happening with the EV market. Like I was just in the Nissan Aria fully disappointed. Um, because I felt like I was in a concept car. I felt like I was in a concept car. Um, basic things that Nissan should have nailed because they were first to freaking market didn't it's, have, you can't, it's, you can't, it's hard
0: to even believe it that, that Nissan had like the first mass market EV in 2011, like that it it's so long ago. Now it was almost a decade ago. Yeah. And they should the have nailed that, this. Yeah. The, the, the sort of like, okay, so we're going to do like, you know, a more upscale version of the leaf and then we're going to do an SUV version of it. And that like, here we are, you know, almost ten years after the first leaf debuted, and the Ari only just came out. And I've only just like walked past it. There's one park down the street for me. I walked past it a couple times now, and God, it's depressing. Carlos would never have let this happen. <laughs>
1: but you know, yeah. it's like,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, here, I mean, let me just just describe this vehicle very quickly. Like inside, they um, spent money on a console that can move forward and back, and a secret compartment take that money eliminate that moving console which serves zero purpose in the secret little toolbox and put a couple real knobs in there and also i don't know put a little extra money in your software so that when you're in the car maybe you can charge you can set the ev charge limit you cannot do that you cannot set it to the percent that you want in the vehicle
0: what? why nope. not
1: it, it there's not it's not possible I went to the forums and you know talked to folks about it. I think you can do it through the mobile app, but it just reverts to 100%. <laughs> so, like think of the basic stuff like you're on a road trip with an EV. You would never charge to 100% at every charge station. You would absolutely want to set that charge limit. Real basic stuff that I was really surprised um that they didn't put attention and resources to that, but they did put attention and resources to a moving console, which I still don't understand why. The seat—I will say this—the seats were very comfortable. But aside from that, and it drove fine. You know, it wasn't like a terrible driving experience. But a lot of the things that you would want in an EV, basic functions that make sense for an EV driver, they just didn't have.
2: I, you know, I just borrowed a uh, a Lucid press car and oh. yeah and i was you know they have the mo- the uh the motorized center display you know what i'm talking about in the middle mm,
0: yeah that moves and, yeah. you mean that I you know, can flip
1: forward
2: yeah that one uh and um I, I appreciate that you could raise it to uh get some more storage but i always think to myself like the cars the timeless cars are usually benefit from simplicity because 20 years from now you don't have to worry about it uh that, yeah, and I just kept I'm like, why? Oh, that really that, have to be motorized? Uh, you know what was very interesting was, I had heard people say that the ADAS on the Lucid wasn't as good as they were expecting it to be. I found it to be yes, a lot I was better one than one I those expected. To... Yeah. What? I, I, yeah. I mean, that is so shocking my, to me. So here's my question. The lane to
1: centering goes to put you into the right. Like you fight, okay, so, fight, so fight. Here's, so here's my question. Here's, <laughs> okay, here's, here's
2: my question. So. All right. Explain where did you drive this car? I drove this in New Jersey, from New Jersey, rural New Jersey, I eighty into Manhattan and back. So a lot of highway miles. Um, and so I had you know Dream Drive Pro, which includes Highway Assist. And Correct. Did you have that same system?
1: Yes. Uh, if you recall, I attempted to drive the Lucid Air from Tucson to L.A. for the L.A. Auto Show. Where we all hung out. Yes. Yeah and i and it was equipped with the and this was not the touring edition this was this was the higher trim level um and it had you know the highest level ADAS at the time and i could not stand the ADAS. the lane centering put me park shoe into the almost on the right lane line you know so if you feel comfortable like basically being able to like essentially the passenger could slap five to like a semi-truck driver, then sure, that's great. But I personally felt like it shifted you way too far to the right part of the lane. It didn't center you. And then the thing that it's one of my biggest complaints about Tesla um, as well, when it disengages, it almost feels like there's a stickiness to the, the like the torque on the wheel, at uh, the steering wheel. And, and when it disengages, it kind of makes this abrupt sort of uh, correction and then it goes into manual mode. Um, and I did not like that at all. Uh, the adaptive cruise control was great, no problems there. And I found that the, a lot of the software upgrades that they've made since the vehicle first came out were incredibly needed and Absolutely, um, you know, better than a uh, huge improvement from, you know, originally. But the ADAS, I think, still needs a lot of work. It also ping-ponged on lanes when I was merging, like, on, you know, when, like, it would go down to one lane. Interesting. I had none of those issues with the ADAS. Um, well, maybe they did a software update between November and now.
2: Yeah. Uh, fixed that. Interesting. My issue with the car, and I, I loved it, um, it was – but – my issue with the car was the uh, user management, like defaulting to my settings, like that is seamless in in my Tesla, and that wasn't seamless in this car, uh, which also surprised because you know, it's supposed to be you know better in almost every way. But the eights thing, I was thinking about the Consumer Reports reviews recently that came out where they put um, Ford. Uh, was it blue cruise got first place and it seemed like the waiting in the consumer reports rankings um, really uh, was good for companies that had what I guess what they called collaborative steering which is something that Tesla mm-hmm. doesn't do. And for those who don't know what collaborative steering is, if you drive a Tesla and you and you um, want to change lanes while you have autopilot or FST beta engaged, you have to put steering, co- You engage the steering, uh, the the turn signal stock or the buttons on an S or an X, and then the car will execute the lane change. Actually, that doesn't happen just an autopilot. It only happens in the higher levels of um, uh, enhanced autopilot or FST. And so our car will execute the lane change. But in a Super Cruise GM vehicle or a Blue Cruise Ford vehicle or a Lucid, you can, um, if you engage the turn stock, uh, you can manually make the lane change, let go, and the system stays on throughout the lane change. And so Consumer Reports calls that collaborative. And I think that's really interesting and an important distinction because in a Tesla, if you don't, if you want it to change lanes, you have to disengage it. It does like a sharp jolt to the wheel as you disengage right. the torque. And then you have to re-engage the system manually. The collaborative um, steering component uh, is certainly one that I think is a very good feature to have in any assisted system. And that was where I was really surprised at how well the lucids worked. So I'm curious. I guess there's not enough Lucid's on the road to get like feedback in a public forum because you get a mountain of feedback about Tesla stuff. We have a little bit of feedback about Super Cruise and virtually none about Blue Cruise or Lucid because it just seems like the, the user base uh, is not vocal or that large or both.
1: Uh, so just to jump in really quickly, I want to go back and we should talk about this later off the show because I want to go back and talk to the folks at Lucid because I don't believe that I, it was collaborative when I was driving it. Mm. And it was, and that was my main, one of my bigger complaints. It was was a very similar experience to the Tesla. You know, you have to disengage it. And then I've never liked that. I felt that first of all, like, unless you are really communicating with the driver and there's an audible chime and it's like very obvious that you've disengaged, you do feel it, um, that it can set you up as a driver for like misunderstanding if you're engaged or not. Agreed. Agreed. Um, And so I've always been a big, uh, proponent of collaborative driving. So if Lucid has that, I mean, my well, recollection collaborative, from back in collaborative theory, November, to be clear. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so my recollection from back in November was that wasn't the case, but to be fair, I should go back and check and make sure that that wasn't something on my end that I was doing. But it, my experience was that, that the adaptive cruise control worked excellent. There was a lot of stuff that was really enjoyable about the vehicle is one of the quietest vehicles I've driven um, And there's a lot to say about it. However, like I didn't like the combined ADAS, like all the automated, you know, driving features combined to, you know, specifically the lane centering.
2: Interesting. So I went and I started sniffing around all, all the companies offering some kind of higher level ADAS. And I, and I was watching the um, Lucid Dream Drive Pro, I guess, promotional video. And I came across something. Oh, hang on a second. It's called Dream Drive Reveal. And the video is a year old. At 35 seconds in, there's a fascinating screenshot which shows like, dozens of ADAS sub-functionalities in this like, kind of star pattern for what's coming in the future. And then I went to look at the Tesla configuration page. You know, For those who don't know this, you buy a Tesla, you get Tesla Autopilot stock. Then Enhanced Autopilot adds a couple of features you know, uh, lane change, uh, parking, they called summon and navigate an autopilot. And then that's 6,000. And if you pay the full 15 K, uh, you get FSD beta and that it adds, um, they call you know, auto, I guess, what is it? Uh, FSD on city streets. But the other feature that it really is the one you want is the, um, red light, green light ding. Like you're at a stop and the red light changes and then it lets you know. So, i was thinking about horace Dediu and his his phrase you know that uh, what is micromobility it's the unbundling of the car it's the unbundling of all the things people do with a car into all the sub modalities and products that are best done by a cheaper lighter more efficient vehicle and that and that is the universe the cambrian explosion of micromobility products but why you know why haven't we seen maybe we're going to see it soon The unbundling of the autonomous car or self-driving car because AV companies promise a universe of benefits in safety and convenience. And yet only one company today offers subscription or purchase of bundles of those autonomy features that are effective. They're not all it's Tesla. They're not all good. Uh, but but some of them are good. And then you've got – whereas everybody else, it seems, is a bundle – like the bundle is basically you get L3 Highway maybe and some other things attached to it. Why isn't there – why haven't we seen all these features unbundled? For example, if I could buy the, – the feature of my test I love more than any other is the very – I find it to be very effective red light turns green bell. If I could – I'd pay 5 or 10 bucks a month just for that. I like to have that on on another car. If I had that on another car, I might even switch cars. They, honestly, there you know?
0: should be that that alert. I swear, every time I get in a car now, at least once on even the shortest drive, there's someone who just sits there when the light turns green. Yeah, so, like it so should what, be a standard feature in oh, every yeah. car that when the light turns green, like there's like, every two. You just that. described
1: every Tucson driver.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking at this Lucid Dream Drive Pro. It's a 35 seconds in in that video, and that is a fascinating screen because I. I just haven't seen other companies think that way. Like, it, like, why can't I just subdivide and granularly select? These are software-enabled features, therefore, well, Alex, they, they don't need to be part of like a stupid package.
0: But, but also, maybe That's people maybe, maybe people credit. are already overwhelmed by by too much choice. And if anything, it's like the the bundling is what makes it right. Like, like full self driving, like, like, and and actually, it was interesting. Byd. Uh, uh, Someone from BYD had a, a whole quote. CNBC had a good story about it uh, in China where they're basically saying, you know, self-driving in private cars is, is just not going to happen. Basically, kind of a, another another shot at, at Tesla, basically.
2: How do they define self-driving?
0: Well, so they don't specifically, but it's clear that they're – they're at least in the quotes that, that that are quoted in the CNBC piece. But they're talking about clearly privately owned cars. So, like, the story makes it clear. Robotaxis are on the road in China. Level 4 fleet vehicles are on the road in China. But – so so that's not what they're talking about. Obviously, you can't say that's never going to happen because it is already happening. Uh, they're talking about privately owned cars. And like it's the bundled nature of the car that makes autonomy so hard, right? Um, and anyway, they had a great quote. They said, when we think about uh, self-driving tech from all aspects, from human psychological safety needs, from ethics, from regulation, from technology, including applications in this industry, we haven't figured out the logic and we think it is probably a false proposition. I have to say – this is refreshing stuff because like even behind the scenes, there's a lot of folks who there are a lot of things that people assume have been sort of thought through about this technology that haven't been thought through. And American players really have not been honest (laughs) uh, as honest about that as I think they probably should be. Oh no, where is this going? Um, Well, and, and then, and then I think, you know, uh, Everyone is trying to figure out what their what their position on this is, and things are changing. And I have to say, I'm super disappointed. You know, you mentioned Ford. Uh, you know, got the highest ranking for Blue Cruise in the in the Consumer Reports because they do really emphasize the collaborative nature. There's a human in the loop, and they were really sort of doing things the right way there, which is why it was so disappointing the other day to see Jim Farley telemotor Motor Trend that in the next. Ford F-150, well, basically it's this Project T3. It's the next generation of of electric trucks. He said, on a a highway, on a sunny day, you should be able to go to sleep in your truck or make a call or do whatever you want to do in a truck while it drives for you. It'll be completely digital. It's a real breakthrough product.
2: Is he describing, I mean, am I correct? Is he describing their L3 highway, like the next generation lookers?
0: So – I mean, the, the report that I'm reading here is sort of says that it's he, – he, I don't see a quote that's where he specifically says L3 or L4. He's either referring to L3, but, but it looks like he's sort of – yeah, and, and in the motor trend thing, he said he's – basically, they're saying the new pickup would be capable of, of level four autonomy. But he's saying also at the same time, on a highway, on a sunny day, that's conditional autonomy, right? That's not just – that's that's not just level that's, that's level three, not level four. If it has,
2: to- well, to be clear, level four could cover a vehicle that can't operate in heavy weather. But
0: yeah, okay, okay. No, you're right, you're right, you're right.
2: Okay, but but level three is where someone has to be ready to stand by and take over.
0: Yeah, and and I I kind of went on on this on on Twitter. I'm curious to, to hear your guys's take. I mean, for me, the real problem I have, like, look, like we don't know anything about this new vehicle. Like, like. It's not outside the realm of possibilities that that some of this capability might be possible. The problem is that is that right. Clearly, he's selling the idea that like uh, at some periods under certain certain conditions, the the car will drive itself. The the problem is not necessarily that it's the transitions between to and from that automation and then the human control. You're speaking
2: my language,
0: <laughs> but more importantly, the what I really have a problem with this here is is that like that's the goal the goal is that the dream that we're selling is people taking a nap while their five pound pickup truck cruises down the freeway and for me i think like i get why that's appealing i get why people want to buy that but like i thought this technology is about safety and like that's you know that's very that's a very different goal than than safety and there's so much of this technology can do to improve safety and trucks by the way have a lot of negative things that safety-wise, that that this technology could help overcome, and like that, I just i w- i would like to see them sort of sell the technology around that, and because I think this way lies madness. This way lies Tesla full self driving, basically.
2: So I'm a, I'm a, I'm not gonna defend Ford. I work for Ford, but it sounds to me like it was referring to well <laughs> some future iteration of L3 highway, but that if someone could sleep, then that person's not going to want liability. So the questions are really about whether or not that is the case for the system you describing. Well, the problem I see, I clicked on the link, the Motor Trend story link, which is written by someone we know, I generally like. Um, however, however, there is, there's a, the problem here is in the, what paragraph is there? second, third paragraph it says here many automakers believe in holding out for level four or five, yada yada, where driver disengagement time is increased, and there's a little less confusion about when the driver needs to take over. Level four vehicles—that's not what level four vehicle is. Level three, and it looks to me like the last five years of work the Cast has been doing, <laughs> and you've been doing, Ed and Kirsten, is like maybe is out the window because someone—I don't know if it was Ford or Motortrend or just our friend Justin—someone is not understanding what the levels mean and that we're, we're far into this sector. We're already in a down cycle and, and this is still happening. So someone's got to do a better job about communications. Um, that's a problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the root of this problem is the fact that we are having this like, you know, several minute conversation trying to parse what Jim Farley said, who's CEO of a company and it's not clear is the root of a problem that is extends across every automaker. Um, that's why I actually wasn't sure about the language change that mobile eye was suggesting, but I think it, <laughs> but, but I actually think it makes sense. It's very clear and very obvious what uh, a system can do um, to a certain point, obviously like hands off eyes off under what conditions, but we have experienced CEOs and board members of major companies kind of deciding on their own what levels, what they mean on you know, depending on the time. I mean, we had a BMW board member on this show, what six years ago, who basically was like, well, my view of level two and three is this. So that's what we're grappling My lived with
0: experience with level yes. four uh, is...
1: Right. I, I identify as an executive
0: <laughs> at a company that makes yeah. self-driving yeah.
1: products. <laughs> right. So that's what we have. And it's because of one very important thing is that money is on the line. Uh, revenue and profits are on the line. And Ford shifted, as we know, and many other automakers there are not alone. And you know, having the dollar signs in their eyes about ADAS, and um, calling certain features within an, an advanced driver assistance system automated driving, and then defaulting to just calling it automated driving, um, and then starting to call it autonomous driving system, and it's confusing people, and it's going to cause a lot of problems. Um, and is just not very responsible. But I'd also like to point out that like, we're seeing the same with how companies talk about software and calling it AI. Uh-huh. Ford, Ford, <laughs> Ford, uh, not to pick on Ford here, but in early April, okay to pick you know, on Ford they, a little bit, <laughs> but they, but they issued a press release about how Ford uses AI to make hitching a trailer easier than ever. folks, it's freaking software like, you know, yes, does it use computer vision, which AKA is software coupled with a camera and machine learning, which is essentially some rules-based software to, for the trucks hitch ball to, you know, back up and automatically like go to a trailer coupler. This is not the same as like what people think of when they use, when, when they think of a artificial intelligence, like I get pitches all day long from automakers, from startups claiming that they have some AI product out there and it's freaking software. So let's just call it that.
0: AI is very much like self-driving car in that it's this buzzy thing and it can mean like anything right like like for years it people will talk about many, self-driving many car technology that could be many very 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 different things but like when you use this one term it like taps into all this like sci-fi stuff and everything oh i've got a whole yeah. blo- op-ed coming about that so. oh yeah Oh. Yeah.
1: so i think that like this is the moment right now is like ai is the big topic um of the moment and i'm also seeing some laziness happening on the automaker side with terminology, Um, which is kind of funny because at the same time, they've all like suddenly like decided to push back against Tesla's terminology. And it's like, pick a lane. Yeah. You got to pick a lane here. And so I, and I anticipate more laziness with terminology around AI and around autonomous driving technology terminology.
0: Totally. And I think it's I think like one of the lessons that we've learned from this first round of mostly from Tesla with 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 level two systems, but but driving automation tech generally is that for a lot of the consumer facing, um, you know, applications of this stuff, it's it's you know, we we're hung up on this on this question of does the technology work or not? And like, so for example, with with the, the scenario that Jim Farley's talking about with this level three, level four, whatever it is, system, like I believe that Ford can absolutely make and deploy a system that is capable of, you know, sort of taking responsibility for the driving task, you know, under the kinds of circumstances he's talking about, where, you know, it's really the system driving, it's not level two, it's it's level three, it's real autonomy. That I don't question the ability to, to achieve that technically. What I question is the, how that technology integrates with the human. And if we learned anything from level two, that was the issue. It's not whether or not the, the technology works or not is, is moot. What, where the safety issues come up is, is in the interaction with the human. And so, in his scenario, if you're snoozing in your, in your F 150 at 60 miles an hour, like how long does it take a human being to wake up from a nap?
2: It 45 varies. seconds. Well,
0: well, but it varies wildly from person to person. I mean, I know the answer for me versus my partner is super, super different, right? Uh, it takes her a lot longer to wake up than me most of the time. But then like how wait, is do your, you – Wait, Ed. Is your concern that the transition management
2: system is not going to be ready when the product comes out?
0: Yeah I'm I'm saying like I am I'm skeptical I'm much more skeptical of Ford or any other automaker's ability to really put a legally defensible tra- transition management system than I am into that like I think it's easier to make the L3 part of it than it is to safe than it is to make the the transition The 2 part to 3
2: the 2 to 3 transition
0: part. Yeah yeah, yeah. because mm. because again like especially if you're talking about people sleeping like the process of A waking them up making sure that they're awake, making sure that they're going to stay awake. And like how, like the ability to measure their, their cognitive state and their state of arousal and all these other things, not just measure it, but manipulate it has to be so much more sophisticated than we are before. And and so I think the point here, and, and this is why I want to just, before I shut up <laughs> and we wrap this episode <laughs> up, I just want to go back to this, to this quote that Lee Yunfei, who's the spokesperson for BYD, and just read it one more time because I think it really... This is is what we're talking about. People people want these things to just be technological problems, but really it's integrating the technology with humans in a safety-critical use case that's the real problem. And Here's the quote. When we think about self-driving tech from all aspects, and and the first example here, from human psychological safety needs, from ethics, from regulation, from technology – we haven't figured out the logic and we think it's probably a false proposition. And I think that if you're really thinking this stuff through thoroughly, you know, it's it's really uh, – you start to see the the wisdom in, in, in some of those things that they're they're talking about there.
1: Final thought for me is, while well, I do think that companies sometimes take positions because they don't want to go down a road and so they justify not going down the road. And I'm not saying that that's happening here, but just as that like little caveat, um, I experienced as a passenger, not yet a driver, in Mercedes' "quote unquote" level three highway level three system, and you know it is incredibly limited, um, and for a reason. And I think that they have put a lot of time and effort into how that is communicated to the driver. Um, the speed limit is a big factor, like it stops working after 30 miles an hour. It's, you know, it's meant to be in bumper to bumper traffic scenarios. Um, it'll be very interesting to see um, how it's deployment here in the United States. You know, it's, it's going state by state actually. Um, even though technically it doesn't really have to, but it's, it's Mercedes. They're super conservative. Um, they have the end you know, uh, rating over in Germany and it's deployed there. I'm really curious to see how that one works. And I think that 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 will end up setting a bar potentially um, for how, what other automakers do. Um, It is pretty strict and confined and communicates with the driver pretty well, but again, and they've said that they take on the liability, but again, it is not a, it is incredibly difficult as you were mentioning before to take in consideration of every Factor in that handover moment. What are people doing? Are they passed out? Are they awake and just not paying attention? How many audible, haptic, and alerts do you give? Um, What is that magic number for you? Might be a different magic number for me. And so that to me is like the big risk Um, is that handover moment. Um, You know, Mercedes has this whole protocol where the hazards go on and all this stuff. But again, like, it's this semi-controlled, not control scenario that is really gonna be a, a difficult nut to crack. Um and every automaker is approaching it differently, which makes it super exciting and risky on the roads. Well,
0: that's probably a good place to to leave it off. This has been a fascinating discussion. Uh, lots of interesting stuff happening. Um anything anything else we wanna cover before we before we wrap this up? The only
1: thing I wanna Did cover you- is for what Alex said did you see
2: this uh, this, this thing tweet um, Lee Auto that uh, the Shanghai Auto site, you see that tweet which tweet Well I have to it, it's the, I dropped it in the chat. I feel compelled to bring this up on the way out. Okay, okay.
1: bring it up. You like to usually end our, our session short, but that's fine. We'll take a, another minute of Alex Roy. Please.
2: Lee Auto announced <laughs> I'm going to read it. They're AD MAX 3.0, all scenario, NOA, ADAS feature. That's a lot. That's a lot. Okay, but first of really all, st-
1: take out the jargon for listeners. Yeah. Not everyone is going to well, be using. I don't acrony- even know what
2: some of that stuff means. I'm guessing that AD <laughs> is assisted or uh, autonomous driving. MAX 3.0 is the, is the product name. All scenario means all weather. NOA is a Tesla acronym, navigate an autopilot. ADAS, Advanced Driver Assistance System. So I'm guessing that this is uh, – it's a competitor to Tesla's enhanced autopilot suite. But here's the here's the thing. It's free. <laughs> it's free. There, it's standard on, on the Lee Auto cars. And that's really interesting because that might hurt Tesla more than anything else. Because who's going to pay $6,000 – to upgrade this, we can get for free on someone else's car, and in some China. Chinese cars in China. Some of these Chinese cars are really good.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I don't think anybody's buying full self driving in China. In fact, I don't even know if you can buy it at this point. I'm not sure. It's a little vague.
1: If, on if, our next is, episode, gonna, let's yeah. get Taylor Ogan to come on and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we can. Okay, All right, guys. Well, thanks. On that note, um, I was going to just say. Thank you to our audience for listening to another episode of the Atonicast.